Hey, Richard Gottlieb. Chris Byrne is 2022. Well, yeah, this is this is our second show of the year, and we are really excited because we are joined by somebody who I consider a great friend and somebody who is so inspiring to me because she's so smart. This is Sarah Baskin. She is the Vice President of Marketing Communications for Far Out Toys. They're out in El Segundo, the new mecca of the toy industry, as we've been discussing. And this is the Playground Podcast with me, Chris Byrne, my co-host and cohort, Richard Gottlieb. We are brought to you by Global Toy Experts, the Toy Guy, and marketing and media agency, Chizcom. And Sarah... Thanks for joining us on our second show of the year. (laughs) Oh, you're welcome. Happy New Year to you guys. It's always great to see you. Happy New Year. Let's start out with you telling us a little bit about Far Out Toys. I would say that we're a little bit of an anomaly. We're four years old in the toy industry, um, but we really consider ourselves a new kind of company for today's toy marketplace. We were brought together about four years ago by industry veteran Keith Meggs, and he brought together a core leadership team of people with extensive experience from the biggest toy companies in the world. And our mission has never been to be the biggest toy company, but our mission has been to create the biggest impact that we possibly can. And over the last four years, we've definitely done that. We have thriving retail programs at Walmart, Target, Amazon, and all over the world. We play in multiple different categories. We have great licenses. And most recently, what a lot of people know us for is our new fashion doll line called the Glow Up Girls. Before we get into Glow Up Girls, I want to ask you guys, the impact of all the toy fairs being canceled. I was I had the the opportunity to visit with you guys last year, and you have an amazing showroom out there in El Segundo. What has been the impact of the cancellations of the toy fairs for you guys? Not going to toy fair in a couple of years has definitely been a different routine for all of us. And of course, we're disappointed that these toy fairs are not happening in person. But to your point, Chris, it has given us an opportunity to really focus on our own showroom and the capabilities that we've been developing around virtual meetings. And honestly, you know, I think it's it's made us more creative. It's made us good problem solvers. It's made us very aggressive in terms of making sure that we get all those necessary meetings. And I would have to say so far, it really hasn't hurt our ability to get out there and get our product distributed all over the world. It just takes a lot of resourcefulness. But yes, with our thousand foot square foot facility here in El Segundo, we're really proud of what we've built and we've essentially turned it into a virtual studio that we can present from. Sarah, I think the development of the El Segundo area over the last couple of years uh, may be greater than a lot of listeners realize what is happening with the toy industry in the El Segundo area. As you know, Richard, um, this is a really thriving neighborhood right now um, for both toy companies as well as just industry overall in the past couple of years, even during the pandemic. Um, We've seen a proliferation of new businesses being established in the El Segundo area. 
housing prices have gone up. There's more retail development all over the place. So it's it's frankly just a very exciting city to be doing business in. And certainly within the half mile radius uh, around Mattel and we've got Moose Toys down the road. We've got a lot of um, both you know small and medium sized companies flanking the Mattel corporate tower here. This is a great place to be, I think, as a toy company. And certainly when the buyers are ready to get back out there regularly visiting with their suppliers, um, it, it certainly you know makes it a lot easier for them and it makes it easier for, for all of us to be getting meetings with those buyers. Can you uh, describe the facility that you are in? So we have uh, we have a great office space here in El Segundo. We have our entire U.S. team here in the office. And I will say that one of the things we've really enjoyed over um, you know the last couple of years of the pandemic, particularly once you know folks have felt safe about having the vaccine and having their booster shots and everybody's been feeling healthy is we do have a, a highly collaborative environment. And I think one of the things that, that really helps us to operate in today's toy marketplace is the fact that we are a small team. We can be very agile and we're very highly collaborative. I think that's really an interesting comment because I talk to a lot of people in the creative fields and they are mindful of all of the remote work, but really for something like the toy business or or marketing communications or advertising, that ability to be together and to be collaborative, it just doesn't work in the same way when everybody's on Zoom. I absolutely agree with you. Um, and I've worked in industries beyond toys as well. And I've actually worked in industries where Remote work is a very conducive you know, way to set up an office. I would say the toy industry is very unique. So much of it is opportunistic and relies on creative adrenaline within the office environment. I haven't really seen that duplicated in any other industry that I've worked in. So I want to talk about your doll line that you mentioned before, the Glow Up Girls. I want to shift gears and talk a little bit about your fashion doll line, Glow Up Girls, because it really is unique in the market. And it's unique in an, in a category that's been dominated, quite frankly, by Barbie since 1959. There have been other dolls, but, but Barbie's really the only one that's been around for 63 years. Before we get into talking about the dolls, Sarah, can you explain the concept of Glow Up and, and why you decided to leverage that? If you don't know the hashtag glow up, then you are probably not on Instagram or TikTok. Um, if you are a young person today that has access to any social channels, you know that glow up really describes transformation from a before to an after. Um, it typically is attached to videos of makeup tutorials or people showing, you know, how they glowed up for the prom or, you know, how they look different now that they're in high school versus how they looked in middle school. But this is a huge phenomenon. It has over 40 billion views on TikTok. And so when we talked to young kids about their views of glow up, you know, it was definitely something that they were aware of. It was something that they were playing with um, in their own pretend play. And we realized there was some real white space here in the fashion doll category to translate this concept of glow up into an age appropriate play pattern. 
with the dolls themselves, we created a line of six different dolls that are absolutely gorgeous, as all fashion dolls should be. But they also come with features that enable you to, quote unquote, glow up your doll. I want to get into your initiative with music, because I think that's so important for everybody to hear about how you are leveraging content, not just as a marketing tool, but as an engagement device to bring kids into the property. We made a very strategic decision early on with the Glow Up Girls to be not just a feature-based brand, but an actual story and IP-based brand. And that was an extremely risky decision to make because typically, you know, when you're launching new products, you know, it helps when you're talking to the buyer to be able to say, look, we have this one feature that no other toy has. Instead, we came to the table with, we have a really differentiated promise. And that promise was that we're going to make this brand about real girls doing really cool things. And that all kind of catapulted our entertainment strategy around the brand. So in a nutshell, um, in 2021, we launched the doll line, but we also launched an entertainment platform. We made a uh, TV show that's on uh, Glow Up Girls TV, the YouTube channel, and it's called The Glow Show. And we brought together six real-life teenage social media girls, uh, creators who lived in a glow-up mansion, and we gave them exciting glow-up challenges every day so that they could understand that with a little glow-tivation, they could reach their goals. And this series, we did seven episodes initially, uh, really hit it out of the park. We got millions and millions of views. Uh, Beyond that, we saw hundreds of thousands of fan interactions on Instagram and TikTok, It was all over entertainment press. And the thing that resulted from that campaign, which made me understand that we really had something special, we had real girls posting on their social medias. I want to be a glow up girl. How can I be a glow up girl? How can I be part of the glow show? And that's when you really know that you've surpassed an entertainment platform and taken it to the level of an interaction channel when your fans actually want to be part of your brand and be an ambassador for your brand. So with that platform, we decided it was absolutely time to move into music because it was one of the key uh, content areas that our fans were specifically asking for. You created a music studio and that really expands beyond the glow up and transformation, builds on the television show. That's risky. I mean, you want to do something a little bit riskier than toys. How about starting a music studio? Um, <laughs> what was? The, well, I told what, you we're a different kind of toy company. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what was the thinking? How did you go about it? How did you? How did you really build this? Because I think the bottom line is content is so important to any toy line right now for that multifaceted engagement for kids. But music is risky too, because you're not the first one to do music. What 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 did you do that's different? Let me preface this by saying we didn't wake up one day and say, let's start a music label. That's just not something that I would recommend doing um, if your company doesn't have the resource or the expertise to do that. One of the reasons Far Out Toys is different, I think, than a lot of other uh, startups is that we have, from the get-go, strategically prioritized and invested in the development of original IP. We know that it's very important, and we are in the toy industry for the long game. 
And so we knew when we made the decision to develop the Glow Up Girls doll line and some of the other lines that we're developing as well, that we were going to have to spend year over year a lot of money in developing this original content. That led us to create Far Out Studios in order to enable that. And, And again, that led to the creation of Far Out Music. But I would say for any companies looking to take their content strategy to the next level, If they want to look at doing these types of activities, there are three things that you need. Number one is a willingness to invest and not just for a quarter or a season, but over the long haul, you need a roadmap. The second thing you need is resources. You need people and an operational structure to be able to drive that strategy. And finally, you need expertise. You really need some people, you know, working on your content strategy who know what success looks like um, in, in the entertainment world. And so I would just put that out there as a few words of advice for anybody who's interested in doing this kind of thing. Now, for us, music was a very obvious channel to explore because, uh, look, I mean, it's one of the key ways that kids communicate with each other. All you have to do is spend two minutes on TikTok or Instagram Reels to see that Kids are interacting with each other with music more than they're actually saying things and using their own voice. So we knew that it was a channel that we had to be in. Secondly, there's a key advantage in music. If you look at some of the most popular YouTube channels, and I will use Kids Diana Show as one of those, okay? Kids Diana Show has over 100 million subscribers worldwide. And typically any of her videos will get between two and 10 million views. But there are definitely videos that have hundreds of millions of views, and that are those are her music videos. Music videos typically rank in popularity much, much more highly than just a you know any other kind of video. So you know it just makes a lot of strategic sense if you're going to have an entertainment platform to diversify that with a, a music strategy. So this is more than just creating a song, it's creating entertainment. It's a form of storytelling, absolutely. In an omni-media world, you have to look at different ways to deliver your storytelling. We have experimented with it within this episodic format with The Glow Show, and we saw that that worked very well. Um, We have uh, diversified that with a lot of short-form influencer content, uh, brand collaborations, and so forth. And music, again, music is also a very, very strong strong piece of that. Um, The song that we released back in November called Give a Little Glow starred Mackenzie Brooke, who is a just a fantastic and talented young woman who also happens to have over 13 million followers on TikTok. Great install base of fans right there. Um, and the song that we created along with her was really all about the Glow Up Girls brand promise that with a little motivation, you can overcome anything. And from what we've heard from our fans, I believe that that brand message really sold through in, in the music video and in the song lyrics. One of the things that happened traditionally with toy merchandising was TV advertising. You know, you look in the 60s, the 70s, and you had three channels. Virtually every kid in the country was on one of those three channels every Saturday morning. And that's where where you got them. What seems to be the case now is that 
markets are fragmented, but you're chasing your market. You're chasing your market in different ways. So you've got 13 million here and 100 million there. And pretty soon you've got real numbers right? Right? Yes. Of, of impressions. So what advice would you give to somebody who is introducing a product line that really needs to leverage what budget they have into this fragmented market because they're going to go after the people who may buy the toys or be engaged with their brand. And honestly, they don't really care about somebody who's not going to be interested. How do you guys approach all this strategically? That's a great question. So you hit on a couple of interesting points and challenges for anybody trying to do kid marketing. The first is a decentralization of media channels and, and a, just an ever-expanding diversification of places that you know you can advertise to kids. Um, and while that can be confusing, it does help guide one's content strategy to develop content that is as flexible as possible so that you can cut it in different ways to appear in multiple different places. So just having having um, an eye on how flexible and diversifiable the, the pieces of content that you're creating are is, is helpful when you get to that point of, okay, I need to figure out you know, where, where to place my media buys. The other thing um, that you hit on, which is you know, wh- what does a company do when they're just starting to get into this and maybe they don't have the resources or the investment to be developing all of their own original content. The place to start is with user-generated content and crafting a good Good old-fashioned influencer strategy, Chris. And, uh, and, and there's, there's an art and a science to doing that. My recommendation for um, brands that are cash-strapped is to find a core group of advocates that are real people. And they don't need to be the biggest influencers in the world. They just need to be people who can really believe in and advocate for your brand. So totally fine if they're micro-influencers. Start there. Send them free products. Get them to create some videos. Ask them for permission to post that content on your own social media. Promote that those videos on your own social media. And I think you'll find that those impressions will proliferate more quickly than you expect them to. And from there on out, you know, it's a matter of building a more tiered influencer strategy. With all of our brands, we have a carefully crafted tiered influencer strategy. We always have a group of core brand ambassadors linked by um, a group. For example, with the, with the Glow Up Girls, we have a group called the Glow Up Club, which is 50 uh, ambassadors who absolutely just love the brand and get access to things before everyone else. And then we have our Fun Lab, a group of consumers, which uh, is a, a database of about 20,000 people now that we have curated that are also big fans of our brand and, and love to promote our products. So That's where I would start um, if you're really cash-strapped is find people who really love your products and get them to advocate. As I listen to you, it occurs to me that there might be some socially good news in what you're talking about. We live at a time where the loudest voices seem to make the most noise. And we would believe that we are a very divided society. But yet when you talk about hundreds of millions of views of YouTube videos and, and you were speaking about Glow Girls with, with billions of people really getting into this, is there, is there a positive story here that there's more, maybe more community than we realize? That's a really interesting hypothesis, Richard. And actually, yes, I, I believe that there 
is a lot of positivity in our you know, social communities. And there, and I, again, I think Glow Up Girls is a great example of that. On our Instagram channel, for example, Glow Up Girls TV, you will only see people talking about positive things and encouraging each other. We actually just launched a casting campaign for the next uh, entertainment projects for Glow Up Girls. And again, this was in response to girls saying, I want to be part of the Glow Up Girls. And so I have been watching uh, dozens and dozens of these videos that girls are posting on social media talking about what Glow Up Girls as a brand means to them. And, you know, it's not about makeup. It's not about fashion. I mean, that's part of it. They love they love that aspect of the play pattern with the dolls. But these girls are talking about how I'm a glow up girl because I am giving books to my my school. I'm a glow up girl because I care about the environment and I'm participating in a walkathon to to help save the whales. I am a glow up girl because I'm a good role model to my younger brother whom I'm tutoring in math, and that just is so encouraging and is making our community stronger and stronger by the day. For me as a, a brand marketer, it's obviously a wonderful success story for the brand, but it all just, so just makes me feel good as a parent uh -huh. of, of two children that the social media can be a really positive space. It just needs to be cultivated as such. I love hearing that because we hear so much about how social media is dividing people or creating bad self-image or creating in some way being ne a negative experience for kids. But the flip side of that is what you're doing. And one of the things that one of my soapboxes is that brands are communities that you don't have yeah. a you don't have a brand until your consumer tells you you have a brand. These are people who are interpreting that community through the filters of their own experience and their own interaction with it. And I, I love that because that gives it, that makes it live. This is the evolution of brand development, you know, in the 2020s, is that it's a real interactive and iterative process between the company and the consumer. This is something that just would never happen even 20 years ago. The tools and the consumer behaviors we're not there to be able to enable the kind of brand development that we can leverage today. So you're right. It's exciting as a marketer because this is really stuff that's never quite been done before, particularly, you know, with, with, within the fashion doll world. We're letting our consumers drive our story in many ways. And uh, they're driving it in a place that I'm really excited about. And one of the things I keep thinking is you guys have invested a lot of money in this, a lot of money. And I think it's really bold because a toy brand that lasts more than three years, three or four years, is significant in, in this industry. What do you do to ensure that this brand will continue to grow and continue to engage girls? Because a whole new generation of girls will be arriving, I don't know, in about six months. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the hard, hardest things about this business, as we always know, is that it is very largely a new customer-driven business. It's a constant grind. I can tell you, Chris, <laughs> that we don't sleep very much because we're just 
always, always thinking about what's the next thing. One of the things that we have done that's made the process more enjoyable is aligned ourselves with really great people. Um, going back to how we've set up our music studio, um, you know, it does take a lot of investment, but we're not doing it on our own. We are aligning with some of the best producers, composers, uh, music video directors in the industry. And in the next couple of months, we're going to reveal some big news around our music program. I, I can't tell you about it yet, but just stay tuned. Follow our social channel um, for, for more news. So that collaboration process at least makes it a lot more fun. I wanted to go back to a point you kind of made and that I, that I really think is important to point out for the toy industry because you do all of this work to launch a brand and you get it up on its feet and you get it singing and you get it acting, then you have to shift gears because the challenge is to manage that success. And that's a very different set of disciplines than launching it, getting it off the ground. That's exactly right. Let me put it this way. The more you give your fans, the more your fans are going to expect you to deliver on an ongoing basis. And again, this is where we really rely on having the right resources internally at our company to be able to manage that. Um, again, another piece of advice I would give for, for other people, you know, just trying to launch um, brands in with a social first uh, attitude is make sure you have at least one full-time community manager who is interacting with and answering questions of your audience. Sarah, in our previous seasons, whenever we had a guest on the Playground podcast, we asked them to tell us a secret. And we got a lot of great secrets. But in this season, we're going to ask a whole new question. Sarah, what was your favorite play experience as a child? <laughs> my favorite play experience as a child was playing on my Atari 2600. <laughs> there was a game, I can't even remember the name of it. I think it was Mega Blast or something like that where the company advertised a promotion where if you got to a million points, they would send you a special badge in the mail. And my brothers and I ended up staying up until two o'clock in the morning <laughs> to finish this game and get to a million points. And I did end up getting the badge. But the, the funniest part of the story that I, I remember so clearly was my mom came came into the living room where we were playing at midnight and she said, children, this is ridiculous. Can't you just save the game and finish it later? And we just said, that's ridiculous. There's no way to save a video game and play it later. Um, that was just such a newfangled and futuristic idea. And so she, she was great. She let us stay up till 2 a.m. And, and finish the game. But I still joke about that with, with my kids because they can save their game and play it later. That's you still have the badge? And I still have the badge. Awesome! Awesome! Yay. Awesome! Uh, well, this has been wonderful. Sarah Baskin, Vice President of Marketing Communications for Farah Toys. Thank you so much for spending the time with us today. And, and you had a cool mom. <laughs> <laughs> And I will say I am also a really cool mom. My kids just don't know it yet. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Bye -bye. Thank you, guys. It's always great to see you. And now we come to the part of the show that we call the end cap, where Richard and I talk about issues that are affecting the toy industry. And 
This week, we're talking at the end of January, we're talking about something that's going to have a long-term impact on the toy industry. And specifically, we saw reports this past week that the birth rate in China has dropped for the fifth year in a row. And that's going to have repercussions on consumers. It's going to have repercussions on production. It's a big deal. Richard, I know this is something that you track very closely. What are you thinking about that? I have been tracking uh, China's population statistics, particularly around young people, uh, 19 to 29 years old, who are historically the, the folks who have populated the factories in China. They, a lot of these people come from villages in the north. They come south, they spend a year or two working in a factory. And then you go home, in the case of China, you go back to your village and start a family. And that was the way it was for years. And I'm looking at population statistics from 1978, Chris, and the uh, population was dominated by young people. This was before any of the uh, one-child policy went into effect. And China was a very young country with a lot of young folks, and they were the ones that went to work in these factories. And I know you and I both have been in these factories back in the 90s. Today, what's happened is the population is aged. And so this, this 19 to 29-year-old part of the population is much smaller than it was. The population is dominated by older folks. And by 2032, it's going to get even fewer people in this age class. Take that and the fact that a lot of these young folks don't want to work in factories anymore. It could be, Chris, that we're going to see an impact on our ability to manufacture in China and manufacture at competitive prices because there's absolutely going to be upward pressure on wages. I agree. And it's going to be harder and harder to attract people to come to to those factories. And and the thing I should point out is at least what we were always told was that when somebody spent two or three years working in the factory, they were saving that that money and that money went very far when they when they went home. It was a way of, of establishing a nest egg for themselves and for and for their families back home. So that was a whole cultural phenomenon. And that's changed. Now we've got increased urbanization. We've seen that younger people are working in other types of environments. They are making equal or more money, not being in a factory and having a a younger lifestyle as well. It's a big change. The question though becomes, where does it go? Or do we simply just pay more for toys? I can see a couple things that could happen. One is that prices will increase because these folks are going to demand higher wages and it'll be harder to get things manufactured because you'll have fewer people to make them. We very easily could see an increase in price and China's human resource advantage uh, really kind of declining. Chinese factories could automate, which would make them less reliant on human labor and also afford more productivity. I tell you, Chris, I think it's going to be hard for the bulk of the manufacturing to go elsewhere simply because no other country, with the exception of India, has the population or the infrastructure to support this kind of manufacturing. So I'm thinking look for higher prices uh, and more automation. 
and things staying in China. And what about the issue of immigration? I mean, one way that there certainly could be more younger people coming into the country is through immigration. China has not been overly welcoming to people from, say, India. Will allowing immigration become an economic necessity if you're trying to build the workforce? It's funny you mention that. When we talk about the U.S., issues of immigration in Europe come up all the time. I've never seen a story that I can think of about immigration into China. They've never, to my knowledge, had a policy around immigration. I think that what we're seeing is the inevitable consequence of time. You and I have talked previously about the impact of declining birth rates around the world. So on one level, it's probably good for the planet (laughs) to have fewer people. On another level, it's going to be challenging for growth and economic growth and all of the elements that go into getting a toy from the creator's idea to under the Christmas tree. I think also what we're seeing is what inevitably happens when a country becomes more prosperous and that people have an explosion in expectations of what they want out of life, they expect more. And I think you're seeing that in China as not only has the population gone down, but the desire for a better life has gone really up. So there's a lot of things happening in China right now. But as long as China maintains its, its, its enormous infrastructure it has in the South, I, I think it's going to be very difficult for any other country to take on the bulk of that manufacturing. I agree. As we've discussed several times, it's taken 50 years to build that infrastructure. So even as right. we, that infrastructure was building, the population was changing. And there is not a another 50 years to build that infrastructure or or even the space to build that infrastructure in many other countries. Correct. It is something that we're going to be watching. It is something that I think toy companies should be thinking about as they're looking long term. Just one other element to consider. And we're glad that you considered listening in to us. And this is the Playground Podcast with me, Chris Byrne, my co-host and cohort, Richard Gottlieb. We're brought to you by Global Toy Experts, The Toy Guy, and marketing and media agency, Chizcom. We hope you'll share this with your friends and colleagues, and we look forward to you tuning in next time.